Cold Springs Church, welcome to Cold Springs Church Online. So glad that you are joining us at this time in order to engage with Jesus. Would you pray with me as we continue our series on doing life together? Jesus, thank you for this day that you have given us. Um, thank you for your blessings that you have poured out upon us. Thank you for your strength in order to persevere, uh, to do more than just survive, but to thrive, uh, but in some cases to still be standing, uh, which is evidence of your presence in our life. Thank you for Cold Springs Church and the opportunity to um, touch people's lives, both within our local community, online, of wherever we are sitting now, and throughout the world in our partnerships with those who love you and love this world and love the people of this world. And Lord, I, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will speak to us, that you will shape us, that you will draw us deeper into relationship with you and with each other, and that in that, um, that we would be people who love well. Um, thank you, Jesus, for your presence with us right now to help us to grow. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Let me read to you um, Psalm 133. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Last week, I started a really short series called Doing Life Together. And we looked at this psalm that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, that he wrote in 1938, 1939 under Nazi um, occupation of Hitler's rule within Germany, of an instruction in how to do life together, how to live life together. And he begins his small book of life together with this psalm, particularly the first verse, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony or in unity. And we're looking at this really important thing of, of what does it mean to live life together? How do we do that in a world that is increasingly pulling and pushing us apart? And today, as we continue that, we're going to look at how do we honor one another? If we're going to be people who live life together, who do life together, and as a value within Cold Springs Church, it's that we would do life together shoulder to shoulder, um, back to back, face to face. And if we're going to do that, one of the critical elements is, is that we would honor one another. Now, I've thought about this and I had an aha moment. I don't know if you've ever had an aha moment in your life where you're thinking about something or you're engaged in something and, and all of a sudden, and a new awareness, a new thought, a, um, a piece of wisdom, I believe from the Holy Spirit, comes into our life that helps us to understand ourselves and understand our situation better so we can live better. And this aha moment I had happened to deal with my, as I was thinking about and interacting with uh, my two oldest kids, 
who were in their early 20s, and, and they were headed out into the world, that they were sort of leaving the nest, that they were going off. In fact, they literally went off to Southern California uh, and to live down there. Uh, they had friends down there. They'd gotten jobs down there. And it was their time of, of going into the world, of really beginning to live their life on their own terms. And, you know, I'm a parent who loves my kids. Um, I'm a parent who wants what's best for my kids. And as all parents, like all parents, I have some pretty strong ideas about what best might be, right, for them to live and decisions that they would make and the things that they would do. Um, but the, I, I try to be judicious in those words towards my kids and recognize that when they want those words and they come and that they're much more likely to receive them when they ask for them rather than me just sort of blurting things out to them. And so I, I try, to, try to hold back on that. And, and in this awareness that, that I came to came with the, the understanding that as my kids were moving out and growing up and understanding what they, who they were and in the life that they were going to live, that they were going to make choices and decisions that um, wouldn't necessarily please me. And the thing is, is that... Um, they were going to be making, you know, those choices and decisions based upon their convictions, their values, and and their journey, and, and just like I did, some of the mistakes that I made in the, their their life, and that their path was going to be different than my path in life, and what. I would need to do is, is that I would need to get over the fact that they're going to be making these different decisions and choices. Because if they lived their life simply to please me, then they wouldn't be living their life. They would be living their life um, according to my version of their life. And, and that wouldn't be really who they were. And, and so... Um, the thing that I told them, though, was that there's a difference between pleasing and honoring. That I didn't expect them to live their lives in order to please me, to make the decisions that maybe even they would know were the things that would make me the happiest. But I did want them to honor me. I wanted them to honor you know, their parents. Now, from a biblical perspective, it's a, it's a really important concept within particularly a lot of ancient cultures of this idea of honoring other people and particularly honoring your parents. In fact, the Bible tells us it's the first promise with a blessing, that if you honor your mother and father, that there's a blessing that comes through that and that or with that, and that's found within the Old Testament that I told them that I wanted them to honor me, that I wanted them to treat me with respect and um, to acknowledge my beliefs and in, in my convictions, even if they were maybe had different ones. And I wanted them to love me. Um, and I wanted them to honor me as their father in their life. And as I said these things, I also became aware that I needed to be honorable towards them as a part of them honoring me. That honor wasn't just a one-way relationship. It just wasn't one, a one-way street. That there was two pathways that were going on there. 
Now, this idea of honoring versus pleasing is really important. It's really critical. The idea of, of, of honoring versus pleasing is a dynamic that plays out in all of our relationships that we have with people around us. Um, yeah, in, 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 I'll be completely honest with you, is, is that I, I sort of would prefer that people live to please me. Um, it's a lot easier and simpler if people would just live my version of their life. Um, well, it's a lot easier and simpler for me, but ultimately it's not a lot easier or simpler for anybody else. And it's a lot easier and simpler for me until this person who have these expectations that you're going to please me, that they throw off the chains of the, you know, my tyranny and that relationship is lost. And it isn't a pretty outcome, this life of pleasing other people. When we live our lives or others live their lives, with the the goal of just simply pleasing another person. Because what happens is it either eats the pleaser alive from the inside out, and what sort of happens there is, is that this sort of bitterness and anger, frustration builds up. Or the other thing is, is it, it creates rebellion and mutiny. And I've seen this, you know, I've seen this in marriages, I've seen this in, in families, as, as parents um, parent their, their children and they have these expectations that they're going to um, always, their children are always going to please them. And then eventually, you know, there, there can be this anger builds up or this rebellion and mutiny is like, man, you know what, I've lived my whole life of, of, of your version of my life instead of them living their version of their life. And it and it um, can destroy not only just marriages and families, but businesses, faith communities, you know, societies. You can be in, in a, a business you know, environment where you have a boss or a manager or somebody who it's all about just pleasing them and, and, and instead of honoring. And there's, there's a difference. There's a distinction within that. Now, we need to look, I think it's helpful for us to look at what the Bible has to say. And what, what is it the scriptures teach us about this idea of honor? Now, one of the things that is interesting is that uh, within our English translations of the Bible, the Hebrew and the, and the Aramaic and the Greek of the original languages, this, this word honor shows up over about 150 times in our English versions. And to honor somebody is to show respect. It's to um, acknowledge the authority or worthiness of, of another person, of them over us. And it has a, actually a couple of nuances to it. And one of those to show honor is um, a feeling of respect or reverence, is that we, we have this, this sense of feeling towards another person. And so we can honor and respect, you know, particularly parents. I mean, if there's healthy relationship within the family, and uh, I'm not talking about everybody being perfect because there are no perfect families, there's no perfect parents, there's no perfect kids. But there can be a healthy relationship, and there's this, this sense of, of honor, um, a feeling of honor towards your parents. I, I, you know, I'm really blessed within my family that... Um, 
that we you know, have this healthy dynamic. And, and there's this sense, this feeling, this emotion of honor I have towards my mother and towards my father. And there's also um, an outward manifestation. There's the actions of honor. Now, within the biblical context, you know, one of the things of honor, of authority, would be to bow down, um, sort of this idea of, of worship. And the ultimate, you know, honor goes to God alone. And so one of the things that it talks about is, is that, you know, bowing, you know, your knee to, to God, to, to Jesus, and no other. And, you know, there are definitely stories within the Bible where, um, people who worshiped God and, and who followed God were given the command to bow down and to honor other gods or other rulers, and they refused. And the result was um, pretty ugly. Uh, but that comes from that conviction that honor ultimately only comes before God. And so that bowing down. And also, you know, just the, the putting of titles. And within our culture and our society, you know, a, a person who has a political position of power, there is honor that comes within those positions of authority and power. There is honor that comes within the office of the president of the United States. There's honor that comes within the, the office of the vice president of the United States of military leaders and commanders, of, of mayors, of board of supervisors, whatever it is, is that um, within those positions of authority and power, there's honor that comes with that. And all of those, you know, that, that feeling of honor, those actions, those gestures of honor that we give towards others, they show honor and they elevate that person um, or the thing that's being honored. And... And, and there's, there's also another sort of aspect within the biblical idea of not only of honoring another person, but that sense of being honorable is, is that we have honor. Um, we think about that within uh, particularly some uh, social institutions, like in the, the military, the, a code of honor. And, you know, within our military academies, you might hear about, um, you know, a cheating scandal. And it's, it is put within this that they have brought dishonor, that they have not followed the code of honor within that. And so it can be really positive social pull um, when it covers up evil, as it has done in different times in different places, then it can become really negative. But it, it all bears within this, this, this sense of have, being a person of honor, of, of carrying honor within them yourselves. And when we go back and, and look into sort of ancient, um, the ancient world and societies, honors really tied up into how the hierarchy worked within, um, within social and political structures. Uh, now, one of the shifts that happens within the New Testament and with the teaching of Jesus is, is that it becomes, um, uh, honor becomes not something that you have because of your political power or because of your position within authority as a matriarch or as a patriarch, a grandparent or a parent, that it becomes almost much more in one sense democratic in that that honor is being worthy of honor comes from a much different place 
that honor and being worthy of honor comes from being a person who is created in the image of God. It's because you are um, a child of God. You are his creation. And one of the things the Bible clearly teaches that all people are made in the image of God. Whether they recognize it, acknowledge that or not is... Um, is sort of beside the point. It doesn't change the reality of being created in the image of God, of having the imprint, the fingerprint of God upon their lives. One of the most radical examples within the New Testament of this, um, in this shift of honor, was when uh, Jesus got down on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. And you see when you, you read that story that's found in the Gospel of John and um, in Peter's, particularly his response, where Peter says, you know, you're never going to wash my feet. And what was going on with that? Well, Peter understood, you know, from a social, from a religious, from a political standpoint, um, from the culture of the day, this was completely upside down. Jesus was the rabbi. He was the teacher. He was the top. He was the one to be honored. And that there was no way that Peter was going to allow Jesus to humble himself and lower himself and become the one who honors him. Because to wash another person's feet was to acknowledge their position, their worthiness of being honored. And Jesus, the, the, you know, God incarnate, gets down on his knees with the towel, wrapped around his waist, and pours water in a basin and washes the disciples' feet. He bestows honor on them. That is a radical turning uh, upside down of things. You know, within our world, um, that we live today, uh, you know, to honor one another instead of them demanding that they please me is, is a lot more difficult and complex. And, you know, there still is this significant cultural value of honor that we can find within societies. Um, you think about, you know, uh, in some of the more... I don't know, twisted is the right word, but I think about like the mafia, you know, there's an honor code um, about, you know, honor among thieves <laughs> in one sense. Uh, within gang systems, there is an honor code, there's an honor system. It upholds evil, it doesn't uphold righteousness. But within a numerous cultures, there is a tremendous sense of, in fact, some cultures are defined by being a, uh, a, a, a culture of honor or culture of respect. And so when honor or, dis, or, or respect are undermined, then that is like the ultimate thing that you could do of, um, of an offense. We see that within the biblical culture again of the, the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, part of that story is as he tells his father, I want my inheritance. And what he was saying, that young son was saying to his father is, is that, I wish you were dead. I, I want your money. I don't want your relationship. I want your possessions. I don't want your relationship. I mean, that is extraordinarily dishonoring action and words to be said within a family. 
you know, within a, a Within American culture, we've been losing this cultural value of, of honor for a long time. And I think that over the last year with the pandemic, over the last few years within the political politics of, that we have, that we are seeing the fruit of many um, years that was um, of seeds that were planted of undermining this idea of being honorable and honoring other people, even though we may be different and have differences of opinions. So how do we, how do we be a person of honor in the world? And, and here's the thing is, is that if I want to change the world, then um, I have to start with myself. I have to start with what am I going to change about me? And in one of those things, in order to, to be a person of honor, is to be intentional about recognizing the imprint of the holy, the imprint of, of God's createdness in every person that we meet. That even the people we disagree with, even the people we may dislike, maybe, maybe having really strong differences of, of opinion or difference of perspective, that if we remember that they are created in the image of God, then that is, a, that is a powerful, powerful reminder of how we treat them, of being a person of honor. And then, you know, that's just that seeking to honor the perspective and the differences that, that we have and acknowledge their, their perspective that in a lot of things that we have differences over, it's not a black and white truth issue that we're fighting over or arguing over. It's a perspective issue. And we acknowledge that their perspective is really is as legitimate as my perspective. It's just from a different angle. And we're seeing things, we're experiencing things differently. You know, I want to honor the uniqueness of, of the approaches of, of solving problems, of, of addressing issues. I, I really appreciate this about the group of people that I get to work with and, and try to honor them because, you know, what I'll find myself doing is, is that, well, I would answer that this way or I would do it this way and just sort of holding back and, and recognizing that there are a lot of different ways in order to get to the end that we are trying to get to of raising up compassionate followers of Jesus Christ. What is the wisdom of the people around me? How can I help them to um, live out their passion and to live out their uh, giftedness and design and their perspective that is going to help us to, to move forward? You know, I find it's much easier to love and to be loved uh, when there's honor that is ex existing towards one another. Um, and, I, and I'll be honest, I, I still like it when people please me and, and, and I'm not giving up on some of those desires that I have of people that I love and people that are close to of, of the things that I want them to do to make me happy or uh, even, you know, I have to be honest that I have, you know, versions of other people's life. You know, there's that sort of joke, um, the, uh, there's a, the old uh, uh, um, spiritual approach to evangelism called the four spiritual laws. And it begins with God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And, you know, we change that to say, I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And sometimes that we can do that to the people around us. Um, but when we honor, honor is a path to freedom and it's a path to freedom for all of us. And, and I want to live in that, in that freedom. And I want you to live in that. And I want us as Cold Springs Church to be a people that live um, together. 
and we live together as a people who honor. Now, I want to approach this as we continue from um, the reality that we live in a world, we live in relationships, we live in a lot of contexts where we don't have control over whether somebody honors us or not. That we can't make other people honor us. So how do we be a person of honor when there is dishonor? I don't know if you've experienced this in your life. If you haven't, you just haven't been, or haven't noticed it, you just haven't been paying attention. That if you've been dishonored, maybe, maybe somebody has spoken to you in such a way or treated you in such a way that does not befit who you are or what you have done or your, even your position or role. Um, it might be as a, as a parent um, that you've had some interactions with your ch- children that have been painful in the way that they have treated you or, or talked to you. Uh, it might be as a child and, and you know, your parents and, and they're being dishonoring to you. Or it might be within that marketplace um, environment where somebody is not honorable and you are trying to be honorable and you're living that. How do we be a person of honor when there's dishonor? And the, I think that, that because this whole thing of dishonor, it touches us so deeply. I've had a number of instances um, over the last, you know, uh, few years where, where I've felt very much dishonored like no other time. And, and within that, uh, what I've discovered is I've tried to be aware of that, of how I'm interpreting behavior or words or actions towards me, is, is that I've, I've noticed that it touches something very deeply within me, you know, that that all of us desire, long, demand, want to be respected. We want to be honored. So how do you live as a person of honor when there's dishonor? Well, one of the very first things I would say to you is this, is, is that you need to learn how to grieve. You need to learn how to grieve. In Psalm 137, the psalmist writes this, Um, In verse one, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. The context is is that the Jewish people, the writer of this psalm is in exile in Babylon. And all they can think about is their life in Jerusalem, the thing that they have lost. And so they're sitting by this river, and it may even be in a beautiful place, but their heart was longing that their life or the situation, their geography, their location was someplace different. And they wept. They grieved. In Matthew 5, 4, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the beginning of it, Jesus says this. He said, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. You see, when we come to this whole thing of dishonor, there is a loss. There's loss. And ultimately, if we're really honest with ourselves, there's a loss of relationship. 
There's a loss of connection. There's a, there can be a loss of intimacy ultimately that happens in, within that. And where there is loss, any place that there is loss, there is grief. I mean, we, we think about it, you know, most poignantly when we lose somebody we love, when we lose a parent, when we lose a child, when we lose a, a beloved pet, there's this sense that they are gone, that there's a loss, and that loss brings grief. But there can be loss when we, when we move and leave a community to go to another community, when we lose an opportunity that we were looking forward to, that we thought was ours. There's this loss that happens, and whenever there's loss, there needs to be grief. And so we begin by acknowledging that when dishonor takes place, that there's a loss of relationship, and that brings grief into our lives. And then we move to, if we're going to be a person of honor in, um, in the midst of dishonor, is to guard your heart. It's to guard your heart. Uh, the, the Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, wisdom writer in 4.23, says, guard your heart above all else for, um, for it determines the course of your life. Um, so there's this sort of simple wisdom there is, is that what's happening in our heart is going to pull us and push us in the direction that we are going to go. And we all know that when we've had a broken heart or a damaged heart or that we have had um, things, the bad things that have happened within us, that it has pushed us to bad places, negative places, destructive places. One of my friends and I are doing a, uh, a, a Bible reading together in the Bible app. And within that, they're um, on resilience. And so... Um, in the, the Bible app is, is, is growing in resilience, a, a, a prayer journey. And this was to, uh, actually today's uh, Bible reading together was energy drain, unhealed wounds. Um, Jesus' words, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Many of us go through life as the walking wounded, wounds received through the actions, words, rejection, betrayal, or insensitivity of others. These wounds can become infected, and infected wounds don't heal. Unhealed wounds drain our energy. Now, that's the whole idea behind guarding your heart. What, what are the wounds that has happened? Because if dishonor is taking place, then there's a woundedness. Jesus, or Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Guard your heart. And here, let me tell you, the number one thing that will guard your heart, the number one thing that will guard your heart is the intentional practice of speaking forgiveness towards others. The intentional practice of speaking forgiveness towards others. In fact, this morning as I did my devotion, as I was reading that and I was thinking about that and it caused me um, uh, to pause and to think about that there were some unhealed wounds. There were some, there was some dishonor that I had perceived or experienced and it had hurt me. And I just stopped and I prayed and I asked um, God, uh, well, I didn't ask God to forgive him. I forgave those people 
who came to my mind, who I was sort of holding on to that woundedness. And if you want to experience that guardian of your heart, the number one most important thing you can do is intentionally forgive others. And, and here's the thing, it's a practice. <laughs> that means that you get better at it as you do it, but you may never feel like you're always ever done. It's an ongoing thing. Jesus said to Peter, and when Peter asked him this question, Lord, Lord, uh, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Peter thinks, I'm being really generous. Seven, you know, it's a holy number. And Jesus responds and says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Seven zero times seven. That's how many times you forgive. And what Jesus is saying here is, is that don't start counting. And when you get up to 70 times seven, 490, right? Um, then you're done. He says, no, what, th- th- there's an infinite number. He says that you forgive as long as there is um, woundedness that needs forgiveness. The other thing to be a person of honor within uh, dishonor is to look in the mirror. To look in the mirror. Look at what James has to say. James chapter one, verse 22 to 24. But don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. And what uh, James is telling us, and James is, you know, this New Testament wisdom book, a lot like the book of Proverbs and the other wisdom literature in the Old Testament. But he's giving us this wisdom and saying, hey, you know what? The, the wise person looks in the mirror, sees what reality is, compares that to the standard, which is God's word, scripture, and then adjusts, <laughs> puts on makeup. Now, it doesn't cover things up, but deals with the things that they see in the mirror. And just as I was um, talking with my kids and, and trying to encourage them and, and to tell them, hey, I would like for you to honor me, I also had to recognize that I needed to be a person who was honorable. And so one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is that, are, am I an honorable person? Have I brought dishonor upon myself? And if that's the case, then the answer to that is repentance, turning to God first and, and, and turning away from that um, sin, that dishonorable character or nature or actions and seeking forgiveness from God, but also to repent to the person that we have brought, um, been dishonorable to and seek forgiveness from others So repentance and forgiveness, seeking forgiveness, that's the path forward. The other thing that we need to be, if we're going to be a a person of honor in a a world of dishonor, is to lock eyes on Jesus. Lock eyes with Jesus. There's this great story of Peter. It's it's, uh, at the crucifixion scene. It's at the trial scene leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, that very thing that we're coming up to with Easter. And and Peter, uh, Jesus has told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. 
And Peter says, I will never do that. And it ends up that he does that. And the, and the, the final time that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus and Peter are within sight of one another. Jesus hears Peter deny him. And Jesus looks up and Jesus and Peter's eyes lock. Now, as I've thought about that, here's what I really believe is going on. That Peter, um, Peter crumbles under the gaze of Jesus. Not because Jesus looked at him with eyes of judgment, but because Jesus looked at him with eyes of love and of forgiveness and of grace. And he recognized, he realized, he did the very thing that he said he would not do. Have you ever been there? I've been there. And when he locked eyes with Jesus, he saw the love and grace of Jesus and it was just overwhelming. In our lives, if we're going to live through the hurt, beyond the hurt, above the hurt, if we're going to live through the dishonor that we are experiencing in our world and whatever context we find ourselves in, it is locking our eyes on Jesus that will see us through. Hebrews 12, verses one through three. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that Jesus endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you keep your eyes locked on Jesus, you will experience the redemption and the restoration that comes through his grace and his love. And then finally, um, if, you're gonna, if we're gonna be a person of honor in a world of dishonor, is, is that we become a person of blessing. We intentionally choose to be honorable. <laughs> we, we intentionally choose to bless above cursing. Luke 6, 27 through 29 Jesus' words, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Jesus is telling us that there is a kingdom Way. This is what our unshakable series that we just finished was all about is, is it how do we live as a kingdom of God person because Jesus turns things upside down. And here is a powerful scripture. Be a person who blesses. If you want to live with honor, even in the midst of dishonor, be a person who blesses because you have that choice. I have that choice. We have that choice through the power of Jesus to not go the same way to be a person of dishonor. So here are some questions for you to consider. 
as you think about your life, would you say that you're living a life of honor or are you living a life of pleasing? Are you seeking to just please other people or are you wanting other people to always please you? Because that's going to be a painful path. If you're just living that life of pleasing. But are you honoring others? Are you honorable? And are you seeking honor? Another question to consider is, whom do you need to forgive that will release you from your hurt? We live in a world of dishonor, of disrespect. It happens. It's probably happened in your family. It's probably happened within your marriage at some point. It's probably happened within your, your, your job. It's happened within your church, with maybe within your life group, with somebody having said something. One of my um, unspiritual gifts is sarcasm. And, uh, and occasionally I'll throw some sarcastic comment out on a text stream and I'll have to go back and I'll have to, because I, I think about it afterwards and I go, that was really sort of stupid. <laughs> that could have been really offensive. So I have to go back. I did that, in fact, this morning to check in to say, what, did I offend you? Because I'm sorry, I was trying to be you know, funny and I was just being stupid. Who is it? that you need to forgive that will release your heart? And then the third question for, to consider is this. How will you be a person of blessing? How will you be a person who lives more fully in the life of Jesus and in the power of Jesus? Paul writes these words in Romans twelve ten: Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love and honor. If we're going to do life together, face to face, shoulder to shoulder, back to back, if we are going to be the community of God, if people are going to look at Cold Springs Church and say, there is the presence of Jesus, it will come as we live out and be people of love, be people who outdo one another in honor. Let's be that people. Jesus, thank you that your power um, gives us the power to forgive and to be released from the hurt. And thank you that your power gives us the power to be people of blessing in a world of dishonor, of disrespect. Lord, I pray that you would help us to practice this with one another, both the forgiveness and seeking forgiveness and the repentance that happens when we mess up so that when we live in our families, when we live in our marriages, when we live in our communities, in our jobs, and these things take place as they will, Lord, that we will be your people, that we will have forgiveness and that we will extend forgiveness, that we will be forgiven and that, that we will be loving world will see you through us and be drawn to you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.